You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. We're talking with Dr. Taysir Suleiman about ceramics regarding restorations, classification, selection, bonding, and clinical application. Dr. Suleiman is the director of the Division of Operative Dentistry and Biomaterials at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He earned a clinical certificate in operative dentistry and also a PhD in biomaterials sciences. Dr. Suleiman's research interest is related to dental ceramics, composite resin, dental adhesives, color in dentistry, and dental cements. Taysir, it's a pleasure to have you back on Dental Talk. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here. Thank you. Yeah, and again, for for our listeners that who who have uh, not listened to the other podcast episodes that uh, Taysir has done, I strongly encourage you to do so. Uh, he's talked about composite resins, types, and applications. That was phenomenal. Uh, we t- he's talked about adhesive systems, how to optimize bonding, and surprisingly so, he's a big fan of fourth generation and sixth generation systems. And he's talked about color selection. So this afternoon, we're going to be talking about ceramics, which is a, a real passion of Taysir. And let me start with my first question. What is the current classification of ceramics? So when we talk about um, classifying ceramic material, there are numerous classifications. Um, and just to really um, uh, uh, present them in a, in, a, in a clinical applicable manner, you have to understand what the ceramic material is really based off of. So according to the crystal phase, we have the, um, the silica glass or the feldspathic porcelain. We have the um, lucite reinforced glass ceramics, and we have the lithium disilicate glass ceramics. So those are glass-based ceramic material. And then we have on the other side the polycrystalline ceramics. So we have the zirconium dioxide um, uh, ceramic system, other known as uh, zirconia. Um, so you, you, um, uh, and that's kind of the other uh, classification. So you have zirconia on one side, and you have the glass-based ceramics on the other side. Other classifications, for example, according to their processing method, according to the factor resistance, um, uh, have also been been introduced. Uh, but you know, um, I, I, what I really want to focus on is um, very simply ceramics that we can etch and ceramics that we cannot etch. Okay, so we could talk about um, selection criteria if, if that's something you'd like to share with us. Just Yes. Oh, that'd be great. <clears throat> Absolutely. So when whenever we have a patient on the chair and uh, we are going to do or use an indirect restorative technique, we're going to use a ceramic material for that if you've decided to do so. There are four important things to keep in mind. One of them is strength. You have to understand the mechanical properties of the ceramic system that you are going to use. And so, you know, if you do understand that, you understand the mechanical properties of a tooth structure, you will be able to select the appropriate ceramic for that particular case. For example, you have a patient, a bruxing patient, you're restoring a first or a second molar, you want to select a ceramic that has very high strength. And by knowing the different ceramics that are available to you, you should be able to do so. Another important factor is aesthetics. You have to understand that each ceramic system has uh, has a, um, a specific uh, uh, optical properties, and in order to match that of the natural tooth structure of enamel and dentin, you have to see or you have to know the inherent optical properties of the ceramic system. And and, and patient demand has become something um, uh, interesting, where you have patients walking into your practice wanting a specific ceramic system because they've heard it on the uh, as an, in an advertisement or uh, uh, or they've uh, had a, a relative or a friend 
use, for example, Emacs, you know, so you have to be prepared to answer that um, uh, uh, question or concern of your patient. And also potential lifespan is a very important to consider when it comes to the selection criteria. And we like to rely on evidence-based dentistry, but the sad reality we live in right now is that the clinical trials or clinical-based evidence is really becoming scarce. And so we're relying a lot of in vitro testing, and that's why we try to do here at our school is we have a laboratory equipped with machines and equipment that can maximize the clinical relevance of in vitro testing. But we all, we all like to rely on clinical-based evidence, but that is becoming less and less. So, you know, it's a, it's a very critical era that we're living in when it comes to ceramics, and not just ceramics, but every material and the materials that we're dealing with. And so um, I think it's very important to point that out to clinicians. It's very important to clinicians to keep uh, themselves updated um, through attending CEs, through listening to podcasts, to uh, uh, listening to key opinion leaders, and to have great relationship with technicians. Technician who knows what they're doing and not, is not just uh, skillful and, and, and artistic, is also knowledgeable, I think is very, very um, important when it comes to um, uh, ceramics. And so, you know, just as a general rule, you know, you have to keep in mind that if you're reading literature, you want evidence on ceramics, something that's more than five years, okay? I see studies of six months and one year on the ceramic system, that doesn't tell us much. And, and, and so uh, Peter, the late Peter Scherer really defined a very nice uh, criteria for this. And the first criterion for selecting a, a ceramic system is that it should have a 95% success rate over five years. And, and, they, and, 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 and you know, he highlighted that we want three and preferably five years on the clinical based evidence when it comes to ceramic systems. So just beware of the advertisements or beware of, of, of literature that shows ceramics in, 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 in one, two, or three years. I think I would just be very careful. One other thing is, um, again, like I mentioned, with the minimal clinical um, uh, uh, studies that are out there, there's a lot of low to failure tests, a lot of in vitro testing. You have to be careful if you are reading something related to that in the literature is how do you interpret that information? And so just be very careful that a lot of these in vitro testing may have very minimal clinical relevance. So don't just jump to the results and conclusion when you're reading something related to um, ceramics. And you know, last but not least, you know, the standard still and comes to indirect restoration is still, you know, gold and porcelain fused to metal. Why? It's because it has passed the test of time. And so for, you know, you know, if 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 you are um, still practicing or using metal uh, uh, metal-based material in, in, in your practice, I think there's a lot of cases that don't exclude that from your menu. Um, there's nothing that beats gold on some of the um, posterior restoration, nothing that beats porcelain fused to metal in the hands of a great technician. Um, but now with the development and technology and uh, with development technology and introduction of all the CAT CAM systems and, and actually the, the precision of these systems have led um, um, uh, the, the clinicians to um, uh, to using a lot of ceramic systems, but you know, do not forget the past and the things that um, that did work. Yeah, gold is still a tremendous material. It's just tough to get technicians that really understand how to fabricate yes. a full gold crown exactly. or, or gold exactly. onlay. They're just becoming exactly. fewer. You know, they're just not around anymore. Um, they're, they're just not around. Yes. I'm sorry. I just wanted to um, increase the uh, on, on the idea of the selection criteria here. And you know, I talked about the optical properties or the mechanical properties of the ceramic system. So if you looked at the different systems that we have, by far I can tell you the most beautiful ceramic system that we have today is Feldspathic porcelain. Nothing beats it. 
Um, a lot of research has been done on it in terms of it mimicking the, the optical uh, characteristics of enamel. It can mimic enamel very nicely. And so in the hands of a great technician, nothing beats feldspathic porcelain and bonding of feldspathic porcelain to enamel is, is, is key to the success of, uh, of, of, of any, any uh, aesthetic uh, um, uh, procedure that you're doing and selecting um, uh, feldspathic porcelain. Now, Empress, uh, which is lucite reinforced glass ceramic, also has phenomenal optical properties um, that also has been recommended. The, the only thing is that it's really been replaced by lithium disilicate glass ceramics, other known as Emacs. Um, by Ivoclar, um, but their Empress system was phenomenal in terms of using it as in thin sections for veneers and bonding it to enamel also is going to be key. And when I say bonding it to enamel, it's because these two specific ceramic systems are weak. And so therefore they're not recommended for full coverage at all. And the most important thing when using these systems is to make sure that you are in enamel all the time and bonding to enamel and your margins are in enamel are, are going to be key for the success of these ceramics. And clinical-based evidence has shown that when these ceramic systems are bonded to enamel, you get success rates as good as 95% up to 10 years plus. Um, and then moving along into Emacs um, or lithium disilicate, which has really been a breakthrough in the area of, of uh, ceramic material now we have studies on Emacs that have exceeded 10 years. Um, the research that we have done related to this material has been phenomenal. The idea of having a ceramic that is stronger than feldspathic and impress and can still be bonded to the tooth structure is what makes lithium disilicate um, or Emacs very, very unique. The idea of using ceramics and partial coverage crowns or onlays has really taken off recently um, <clears throat> because previously when doing onlays or partial coverage crowns with gold, it was very technique sensitive and it required specific um, skill to, to prepare a tooth for, an, uh, for a gold onlay, which again is still the gold standard when it comes to restoration in terms of the durability of the material but a lot of patients do not want any metal based material or metal, or metal in their mouth and they want a tooth colored um, uh, restorative material and Emacs as a partial coverage crown and a crown and a veneer has been doing phenomenally well um, you can you, you know working with technicians um, they can make Emacs 0.3 millimeter thick and you can bond it to enamel and it will look very very beautiful with a different ingots or different um, uh, levels of translucency that they have you can get phenomenal beautiful looking veneers made out of Emacs again if you're looking for characterization if you're looking for increased translucency I'd probably lean towards Empress or Feldspathic but for a lot of these um, patients who want eight veneers or ten veneers or these full mouth rehab you, 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 the, most of the colors are monochromatic, and so Emacs would fit in or, uh, beautifully uh, into that. We've done a lot of research on uh, looking into the success rate of Emacs. Uh, I've done some laboratory surveys where we've looked into over 51,000 restorations, and we looked at the fracture rates of these restorations, cases that we returned to the laboratory over eight years' period of time, and what we found in single crowns monolithic Emacs material, the fracture rate was less than 1%. 
And that's quite phenomenal. You know, if you are considering using Emacs as a uh, a fixed partial denture, the fracture rates were 3% and above over the A period of time. There are better ceramics that you can select for that purpose right now. But as single crowns, as veneers, as onlays, the fracture rates were always around 1% over the A period in looking into thousands of these restorations. So it's been quite successful. And, and we just finished a study looking into um, you know, do we cap the cusp or do we not? Um, you know, when we have a typical premolar walking into your practice with an MOD amalgam filling and you have the lingual or the, the facial cusp, functional, non-functional cusp fractured off, the amalgam is still there, what do we do? Do we uh, remove the amalgam, build it up with a composite and prep the whole 2360? That's not being accepted by many, many of the clinicians and key opinion leaders right now. I think with the great um, ceramic material that we have in Emacs, and the phenomenal adhesive systems that we have, um, it has been uh, really uh, a, a game changer in terms of how we treat these teeth. So, you know, but the question is, when you have functional, non-functional cusp remaining two millimeters, three millimeters, or one, do we cap them or do we not? And so we looked into that and, you know, um, we had cusps as thin as two millimeters remaining. We've put, put them in the chewing simulator up to 1.2 million cycles, which resembles five years in the patient's mouth. The only group we had failure in or with was when the margin was, we had three millimeter remaining of a cusp. The margin was right, um, opposing to the antagonist. It debonded. We saw zero fractures in all these groups. We had six groups um, between two to three millimeters remaining of a cusp of a functional and non-functional uh, non cusp. We had zero fractures. Um, we had debonding in one of them, and that was when we had the margin right imposing the antagonist, and all we did is we added another group where we kept the margin, um, uh, we have three millimeter cusp, margin is still opposing the antagonist, we added two retentive features or retentive slots um, in the mesial and the distal, and we got zero debonding. So that was quite phenomenal to see in a very aggressive environment how this ceramic and how bonding and how this um, conservation of the tooth structure really does work. And so right now in my practice, rarely I, uh, I, I really go to a crown unless I really need to, unless I'm redoing another crown. I, I think bonding of, of a ceramic um, and having enamel margins, that's also very, very key to the success of these partial coverage restorations. Yeah, let me ask you a question. Uh, uh, when you talk about... Yes. Uh, ceramics, can, before we uh, end this podcast episode, can you briefly explain the bonding protocol? Bonding is a, a major thing. And, and um, um, I, I really wanted to touch a little bit on zirconia as well. You know, zirconia right now, just very simply put, if you're writing to your technician, please make a zirconia crown. That is incorrect. Okay. That is misleading. Why? Because there's different types. There are different generations of zirconia. The traditional zirconia that we had which had three molecular weight of yttria in it, conventional zirconia is the strongest zirconia uh, that we have, and it is fantastic in posterior teeth. Um, the problem is it was very, um, it was opaque, uh, very, very minimal in, trans, uh, in translucency. Therefore, um, they introduced more yttria, which, is, which, uh, which led to becoming of a, a five Y, they call it, um, a cubic zirconia or translucent zirconia that we've seen the last co a couple of years introduced to us. What happened here is that now you have a, a, a zirconia that has enhanced translucency, 
but a lot weaker because it's um, because it reacts differently to forces. And so, you know, I would be very careful into selecting the zirconia right now. Um, time will not really allow to go into details. I'll be happy to discuss um, uh, this topic on a separate um, podcast if, 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 if you would like to. But you have to understand that zirconia, there is a, a conventional zirconia that is strong and that can be used for posterior teeth. And then there are cubic zirconia, translucent zirconia that they're recommending to be used on anterior teeth. There's no reason for using them really on the anterior teeth. You have um, uh, ceramics like, you know, like Emacs is a fantastic fit there. So to have one ceramic that fits everywhere just really doesn't exist. Um, and so if you're using it on Bruxing patient, you want to make sure that you're selecting the conventional zirconia versus these uh, cubic or translucent. We've, we've done research on them and they show that they're shattering or fracturing at loads a lot lower than the conventional um, even lower uh, than to that of Emacs. So that's something that I just wanted to bring the attention of, uh, of, of the listeners to or the clinicians to about the zirconia, that there are different types and not all the zirconias are the same. Mm-hmm. Now, when it comes to bonding, very simply put, glass-based ceramics, you can etch them. You can bond them to the tooth structure. Easy and, and done. You have phenomenal cements um, from, uh, from 3M using the uh, uh, Reliax Unisem or, um, uh, or Ivoclar's um, Variolink Aesthetic. Um, just, uh, uh, you know, uh, Karari, they have Panavia. The Panavia V5 system is fantastic. Uh, 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 and, and these cements are phenomenal in terms of their resistance to solubility and, and in terms of their color stability. And they have really, really helped a lot of the CAD CAM dentists with all these marginal gaps that we're getting, um, I think we're just fortunate to be able to um, f- um, uh, fill these gaps with these phenomenal uh, uh, cements. So, you know, you just follow the, the basic protocol of hydrofluoric acid etch and whatever system they're using, if it's a self-adhesive cement versus an adhesive, you just want to make sure you follow the protocol for that. Make sure if you're using Emacs, you don't want to over etch the Emacs, you know, any of, uh, not just Emacs, but any uh, glass-based ceramic over etch of it will pres- will may, uh, will um, produce these salt residues that will affect the bond strength to the tooth structure. So you want a pure chalkiness. You don't want any remnants of these salt. You can get rid of them through using an ultrasonic bathing system. You know whether it's an ethanol or uh, any other alcohol, it will clear these salt residues off that surface. I always encourage clinicians to do the etching yourself, okay, um, so that you can control that um, um, that important phase uh, of it. And you know I don't have time to get into the cem- the cements and different types of cements. It's just fortunate that we have phenomenal cements. Um, like I said, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, we've uh, a lot of cement uh, research has been done on cements related to um, Reliex Unisem or uh, Reli- uh, or Variolink uh, Aesthetic by Ivoclar. But the uh, most important thing here is, if you have proper resistance and retention form, conventional cements will work fine. Zinc phosphate will work fine if you have proper resistance and retention form. They've been doing that for years, and they had zero problems. So a lot of the, the, the you know, getting paranoid about, I have to bond everything. No, if you have proper resistance and retention form, go ahead and use a conventional set, a conventional cement. Resin-modified glass cyanowares is phenomenal. You know, Rely Excluding Plus from 3M is a great cement um, uh, that um, um, uh, to use for conventionally cementing uh, your, your restoration. The challenging part gets to bonding of zirconia, and I'll, I'll wrap up the talk with this. 
because zirconia, you cannot really um, etch zirconia in a reasonable time or reasonable concentration of an acid. Um, it's really a combination of a, a, of a mechanical uh, pretreatment and a chemical pretreatment. And, and with the mechanical, you know, they've, uh, what, what has been recommended is to sandblast the, um, the zirconia. And so in uh, doing so, what you can, uh, or uh, airborne particle abrasion, and there's specific parameters to follow doing so. Um, and, and, and most importantly, our small particle sizes, because you don't want to create or introduce too many flaws uh, into the zirconia. And the chemical pretreatment is using a ceramic primer, you know, having a silane and an adhesive. Uh, most systems have that combined uh, adhesives, uh, you know, that have MDP uh, uh, monomer in it. Have, they've, they've been phenomenal. But the most important thing here is the, when you're trying in your zirconia restoration, and then you want to bond. Zirconia has very high affinity to salivary proteins and, 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 and proteins in the blood also. If that contaminates the zirconia surface, it will ruin the bond strength to zirconia. And one product that I really like to highlight and I encourage all the clinicians to use is IvoClean from IvoClar. And, and, and basically, um, um, it, 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 what it does, it removes all that contamination. It is the only way, actually, after sandblasting to remove the contamination from the intaglio surface before you proceed with the bonding procedure. And so um, uh, you, you apply the, uh, after you try in, um, you apply your IvoClean for about 20 seconds, you rinse that out, and then you go ahead and apply the ceramic primer that you're using, um, <clears throat> and then you want to wait a few minutes um, for the ceramic primer to kind of settle in and penetrate as much as possible. And the most important thing is you want to use, whether it's a self-adhesive or an adhesive cement, it has to be a dual cure cement. Because zirconia attenuates light, you want to make sure that you are using a dual cure cement and nothing that is um, solely light cure so that you can enhance the degree of conversion or the polymerization um, of, of, of your cement. And you know, we have to follow up on all these indirect restorations that you're doing and the direct ones, you know, having your patients come in on recalls and, and, and making sure that the margins are, are staying. You know, I do, I am a little bit worried about a, a lot of the CAD CAM restorations in terms of, uh, of the margins that we're having. We're seeing margins that are um, uh, larger than the ones we had with gold and porcelain fused to metal. And so you don't want these margins to stain. You want to make sure that they're protected, you know, by using these um, fluoride, um, uh, um, by using, um, you know, these uh, fluoride varnishes, you know, getting, uh, making sure that the that, uh, plaque is not accumulating around these margins. Um, one, one, one thing that has caught our attention also is um, uh, Ivoclar's product of, of a Servitec Plus, which is a, 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 a you know, a chlorhexidin with a thymol, and it's just kind of unique in terms of keeping the bacteria away and, and keeping it um, uh, clean and highly uh, fluoridated. And, and so, you know, margins, um, are going to be an issue or are, are, are an issue a little bit with a lot of the direct and indirect restoration that we have to keep a very close eye on. So just be sure to follow up with your patients, with your hygienist, make sure that these margins are, 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 are clean and, and using the right products uh, uh, doing so. And, um, and that way you can minimize the staining of these margins and then therefore that, you know, you eliminate the, the, uh, the process of secondary decay. Yeah, excellent stuff. Excellent information. I'm glad you talked about resistance and retention form, and and I guess you were referring to the ferrule effect, which is so important on these preparations. Absolutely. Yeah, um, and that's even even true. Absolutely. When you Absolutely. Even, even with the underlying post and core, you can't rely on 
anything other than uh, your attention and resistance uh, form. Absolutely. Your, prepar your preparation is just the plain physics of the whole mechanism. Um, fantastic information again. Absolutely. And, um, I think, by the way, this product you mentioned by Avaclar, Servitec Plus, I think that was that's also good for preventing root caries. I, I read in a recent study. Yes, it is. Yeah. So that was. Yes, like it is. And, you know, it's. Um, Yes, yes, we've, we, uh, you know, we've, uh, I've had it in the hands of the, uh, of our hygienist um, and here at the school and um, the taste of it and then it's colorless and, and, you know, applying it and in terms of uh, the presence of fluoride release or antimicrobial activity, I think it's, 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 uh, it's something that's kind of against the attention of, 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 of some of the clinics also. Yeah, yeah, so if that's, that's Servitec Plus, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if that's from Ivaclar, so you do get to get some Ivoclar, tips yes. on uh, Ivaclar Vivident. And uh, yeah, and you mentioned it, and so that's why I, I just read an article on it, and it said it, it's phenomenally effective uh, for root caries. Uh, Taysir, yes. it's fantastic having you. So, so we're talking to Dr. Taysir Suleiman, who is a uh, expert in um, materials from UNC, practicing dentist. Uh, he could be reached at Suleiman at unc.edu. Let me spell his last name for you: S-U-L-A-I-M-A-N at unc.edu if you have any questions he's gracious enough to uh answer them and give his information out so uh and he obviously has a huge passion for this Absolutely. stuff you, you can tell by the way he's <laughs> he's discussing this so <laughs> you are the kind of person who wants these podcasts so we want you on again um absolutely fantastic thank you it'll be my pleasure absolutely yeah thanks so much and uh we'll hope to have you soon take take care thank you very much it's been my pleasure thank you